Romans chapter 15, the first heading, receive one another in the Lord. Now, verses 1 through 7, uh, honestly, as far as the King James goes and where they divided up the chapters, um, I would have to say I don't necessarily agree with Romans chapter 15 starting right here. It probably should have started in verse 8 because verses 1 through 7 of chapter 15 actually fit with the verses in chapter 14. So there's a weird chapter division that probably should have started in verse 8 of chapter 15 instead of verse 1. So with that in mind, these fit with chapter 14. So let's read. Uh, receive one another in the Lord. That's the heading. And that's verses 1 through 7. So let's read verses 1 through 7 of chapter 15. <clears throat> we then who are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification. For even Christ pleased not himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of them who reproached you fell on me. For whosoever, for, whosoever, for whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Now the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded one toward another, according to Christ Jesus, that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wherefore, receive you one another, as Christ also received us to the glory of God. So, in this instance, strong means to be strong in the word, understanding primarily what Jesus has done for us at Calvary, which fits right in with yeah. chapter 14. And improper knowledge and understanding of what Christ did at Calvary and all that he accomplished brings about an improper knowledge of everything else. So, if you don't understand Christ and the cross, you're going to misinterpret everything else. Yeah. Which is why we end up with so many false gospels. Is because it's a misunderstanding. All false gospels. All false doctrine comes from a misunderstanding of Calvary. Every single false doctrine will not line up with the cross. That's how you spot. You won't be able to spot false doctrine. <coughs> Understand what took place at Calvary and what was accomplished and you'll be able to spot false doctrine. You'll have discernment because you know the truth. If you know that you've been justified by faith, then when someone comes and says, if you want to be right with God, you need to be circumcised. You say, baloney. Yeah. With that. Jack. <laughs> that's false doctrine. Well, how do you know that's false doctrine? Because that doesn't line up with Calvary. That's right. Oh, you're sanctified by faith. You, get, you, you need victory over sin? You got it in Christ. Praise God. You've been crucified with Christ. You've been separated from the sin nature through what Christ did at Calvary. When you believed, you were baptized into Jesus. When He died, you died. A lot, a lot more happened at Calvary than what 
It's not just where Jesus died for you. It's where you died. By law. To the old man. Yes. All of you, thank the Lord, you know me now that I'm saved. But (laughs) if you knew me before I got saved, there's some, okay, well, we didn't need that. (laughs) There's some things from the old man. The sin nature that today I don't have. Why? Because I'm crucified to the old man. That I don't have, I'm a new man in Christ Jesus. I don't have to put on the old man. I actually take off the old man like a garment and put on the new man. Put on Christ. Because I'm baptized into Jesus. When he died, I died to the old way of living, the old mindset, the old actions, the old sin nature, and I have a new nature, new thought processes, new actions, new ways of living, new ways of thinking, just new everything, and it's much more better. Yes. Amen. And I'm sanctified by faith in Calvary because that took place at the cross. And that's how I get victory over sin. So when someone comes and says, if you have a sin problem, you need to fast for 30 days, I say, baloney with that. Yeah. <laughs> because it's because I'm crucified with Christ. I'll have victory over that sin problem. It might not be when I think it needs to be. Because not everything just falls off overnight. After all, this is a sanctification process. (laughs) Sanctification. (laughs) The rest of your life. So it's not just like sometimes in our minds we think man dude sanctification this is the way it is like because I got especially now that I understand the cross just every day man victory I'm never going to fail again I'm never going to have a struggle ever again I'm ne- there's never going to be a giant in the promised land <laughs> that's we don't say it but that's our thought process and then when there is a giant and it doesn't die immediately <laughs> We're like, dude, whoa. <laughs> this is not working. This is ridiculous. <laughs> this is not, because we were a fast food generation. Yeah, you're right. In America, especially. What, what? Dude, this should just. The foul language just fell right off. Why isn't the gossip just falling right off? Oh, my, my faith is obviously not a... Co- okay, whoa, whoa, whoa. Take a deep breath, okay? Some things... It's a process. Fight the good fight of faith. Keep believing. Keep believing. Keep believing. Keep believing in the... Ca- in, the in the work of Calvary. Keep believing in what the Scripture says took place at Calvary for you and in you. Keep believing. And as you keep believing, one day, yes. that yes. giant will fall. Yes. yes. One day, 
that giant will fall. Keep believing. Keep believing. Yes. Keep believing. Just keep marching yeah. around the wall. Yeah, Just keep it didn't the walls of Jericho did not fall down in the first two minutes. That's right. But we act like that's how it is. Whoa, whoa, okay. Well, it's in, you know what? Obviously, it didn't work. I haven't had victory over this. Whoa, whoa. How long did... Well, this is day one. We're doing it. It's a process. Keep, keep fighting the good fight of faith. Keep marching. Yes, that's it. And one day... And you probably won't notice it until you're on to the next battle. And then when that battle comes, you'll be like, dude, what the heck? And you'll be like, oh, wait a minute, you know what I had done? And like, gossip. And then right when the other battle's right there, you're rejoicing because you finally just saw that you've gone a little farther. You now possess a little bit more of the promised land. I have a theory oh, as to why that, that happens. Yeah. That why it, it's like it's we don't even realize that we've gotten victory until later, and it's like, wait a minute, you know what? I, I've got the the Lord's done a work in me, and we realize that that it was a God thing. I think the Lord does it that way because if otherwise, we'd be bragging about how we did it. Yeah. You know? So he does it in such a way as we're like, I never even noticed that happen. It's just in the process of me having trust in him and having faith. I can't take any credit for that because I was just believing him and just trusting him and just praising him and, and, and this he did the work in me. I can't brag about it. All I can do is just say thank you, Lord. Yeah. You know, and that's you know that's the process. Uh, the word ought. O-U-G-H-T means to be a debtor, to be under obligation, bound by duty. The admonition to help the weak is not a suggestion, but rather a moral obligation. Amen. The strong believer should go the extra mile to help the weak, the one weaker in faith, but with the end in view of making the weaker believer strong. Yeah. See, it's not, it's not necessarily to just, all right, well, we'll just do anything and everything in order to accommodate the weaker believer. That's not, that's not the end goal. The end goal is that the weaker believer be made strong. So there has to be a balance to it. It's not just, all right, well, you know what? They, they feel like this is, you know, sin, so we're not going to do it. But the moment that they demand that I follow suit, and if I don't, then now we have a problem. Because now you their, their conviction has now just been turned into law, and now they're attempting to take that law and put it on me. Yeah. And what I've already shown you in Romans is that you owe obedience to no man, only Christ. That's it. So the moment that a brother or sister says, well, you need to do this. Well, actually, no, I don't. And uh, I'll, the only thing I owe you is love. Yeah. But not obedience. Mm -hmm. So that's where mm -hmm. 
Now the line gets drawn. Now hold it up. See that the end result is ultimately that the weaker brother or sister be made strong. That they come to an understanding and a knowledge of what they have in Christ. Right. Not so that they continue to live as an infant. Right. In the gospel. Right. Pleasing self ruins Christian fellowship. Oh, that's true. If you demand your rights and your freedoms in Christ, it is all just about self. Well, I have this right and freedom. I'm going to do it. Forget them. They're wrong anyway. Okay, well, selfish Sally. <laughs> because you demand your rights in your way, you're going to rip the body of Christ apart. Pleasing one's neighbor in this context refers to the act of the believer foregoing a legitimate act because a weaker Christian thinks it to be wrong. The stronger Christian is to do this only in the instance where the weaker Christian would be edified and built up in the Christian life. Spiritual growth should always be in mind. Uh, I'll tell you this. I'll tell you this story. I actually read it in the commentary from Rose Prager. And I laugh. This is the first time I heard it, so I laugh. But and it, it kind of fits in where there's a weaker brother. There's a weaker brother who actually sees himself as spiritually elite. Because of something that he believes, which actually scripture reveals that he would be the weaker brother out of the whole mix of things. But uh, they, they, a lot of the Bible college students at the time, uh, they set up a Christmas tree down in the lobby of the towers. Well, this brother obviously lived in the towers, and he was, in his mind, very spiritual. And having a Christmas tree was a sin. <laughs> Well, he saw Brother Swagger one day and told Brother Swagger that it was wrong and that that's a sin and that, you know, idolatry demanded that Brother Swagger have it taken down or else they're leaving. He's taking his family and he's leaving. Well, Brother Swagger shook his head and said, I hope you're happy wherever you go. <laughs> This brother, <laughs> this brother thought that it was wrong, and he's the weaker brother. But it got to a place that he demanded, in the sense of like a law. No, you've got to, and brother. That's where okay, whoa, yeah, right, yeah. No, we're not, we're not going to do this. Brother Swagger said this in the commentary, and I cracked up laughing because I pictured it in my head, but he said having a Christmas tree is not wrong unless you bow down and worship yeah. in the Christmas tree. He said, which I've never seen anybody do, so and I had to what I was actually thinking came into Brother Sid's house and he's over there worshiping yeah. the Christmas tree. <laughs> <laughs> he's being a treat. <laughs> <laughs> So that's to see that the, the end is always spiritual growth, and in that instance, 
that brother was taking something and yeah. making it a law right. and then demanding to put it on the other people. Yeah. Right, right. That's rampant yeah. in the body of Christ. Yes, it yeah. is. Just, yeah. I'm talking about big time. Yeah. yeah. Yes, Ministers have a personal conviction about something, and next thing you know, they put it on their whole congregation. Whoa, dude. <laughs> Can you show me that in scripture? No, you can't. So you just placed the law on the entire congregation. And as we've seen in Romans, what law actually does. Uh -huh. If you place law on someone, it actually strengthens to sin. sin. Law actually causes the opposite reaction of what we use it for. Yeah. We take we believe that laws are gonna help me live right. And the truth is, the way that God has set it up, laws actually make you do the opposite. Mm -hmm. They make you go the other way. And because one, you can't keep it. So now you just feel condemned because you can't keep it. So that law is, you can't keep the original laws of God, so you make a fence law to keep you from breaking the original law. And now you not only couldn't keep the original law, now you can't keep the fence law either, so now you're like doubly condemned. So we just make another fence law, and then, well, you know what? You shouldn't lust. Thou shalt not lust and covet. Well, you know what? Lust is just running rampant. What are we going to do? These women need... Because this is normally the way that it goes. Mm -hmm. No one takes responsibility for themselves. Because that's how just the normal route that sin takes. The woman made me do it. The snake made me do it. I'm lusting because women need to dress appropriately. So they need to all wear dresses that cover every single thing. I don't want, I can't even see a toe. Because that's... Oh, oh. Well, first of all, it's not the woman's fault that you're lusting. It's a, it's a heart problem for you, man. But that we, but we, we can't deal with it. And we don't know how that God addresses it, so we've got to make a law in order to do it. And the opposite sex is the one that gets the hammer brought down on them. Because it's their fault that I'm a sinner. Yeah. No, it's your own heart. Yeah. And the only thing that's going to address that is grace. That's yeah. it. Yeah. Come on. So that's what we do. And then now we just place it over the whole congregation. Mm. And you can't, and then, of course, we, it just spreads from there because yeah. we find, well, that's not working, so we need more. Do not wear shorts if you're a guy. You might entice the women to, it's in your heart. It's your own heart. Yes. But we'll take all these laws, and all we do is just put more bondage and more bondage and more bondage, and it doesn't do anything. One of the guys I went to Bible college with, he he grew up apostolic, and he said that if he wore shorts, his grandfather would have hung him from the ceiling. 
Well, <laughs> he, he as, he, as he began to see the message of the cross, he said, well, it's not right. It's not right. That's law. That, that's not right. And this is, this is his words to me. He said, the truth is, dude, I didn't need any help at all. My imagination can make up enough. It's not going to matter what you wear. My imagination is... I said, you know, you're right. Yeah. I, don't, I know for me, I don't need any help to sin. I'll make up ways. Yeah. <laughs> I found that out in Bible college. I'm just in a dorm room, just like a prison cell. Right size of that uh, dining room. That's my dorm room, and, and, and I'm in there. Just I'm I'm in Bible college, so I'm in classes like eight hours a day, and then I got homework. I'm literally in almost a perfect environment, just having the gospel poured into me, the truth, the message of the cross poured into me all, like half the day in classes, chapel services, services like three, four, five times a week, homework. It's and I'm here I am in a small dorm room. Making up ways to sin. <laughs> I don't find it out. It's nobody else's fault. I don't need any help. <laughs> it's just me. That's how I learned the sin nature that's in the box. It's real. <laughs> it's real. I'll find a way to sin. I don't need any help. I don't need any influence. I'll find a way. I'll make up a way to sin. The entirety of the life and ministry of Christ was to do the will of the Father alone and not his own. All the hatred of God by fallen man was taken out on Christ. More particularly, this was the hatred of religious men who claimed to be of God rather than those who were of the world. There is a it's a parable. It's a parable, but it's a story in the sense that it, it, it was actually true, or it was going to happen at least. But I still believe it was used as a parable, but it did happen. <laughs> Just not in the way that the story went. The story was that there was a owner of a vineyard. And the vineyard, the, the owner of the vineyard actually left. And then he put people in charge of it. And then he would send someone to collect from, because after all, he's the owner of the vineyard. And then what would happen is when he would send those to collect or whatever, the people that were in charge would beat that person. So he would send more and more. And then it got to the point where he said, I'll send my son. Because they'll listen to my son, not really somebody Israel. Mm -hmm. And then it said that when the son came, they said, this is the heir. Let's kill him. So obviously we're talking about the religious leaders. Mm -hmm. right? yeah. Who were over the vineyard. Right. And they killed the son. Christ suffered persecution from those that claim to be from God. Yeah, right. So don't be surprised 
if the same thing happens to you? If Christ could undergo the extreme persecution, even unto death, seeking not at all to please himself, but rather his heavenly Father, how much more should we be willing to forego some small things in order to strengthen a weaker brother? If he could take all that, we can take not even so far. (laughs) Verse 4 refers to the whole of the Old Testament scriptures. The Old Testament is the foundation for the New Testament. One cannot fully understand the New Testament, I'm sorry, the New Covenant, unless one has a proper working knowledge of the Old Covenant. The idea is that there are sufferings and reproaches attached to the Christian life which cannot be avoided and that the Word of God provides patience, and comfort that the believer might maintain a brave and cheerful spirit. Faith is the end result which brings forth the patience and comfort. God is the author of the patience and consolation lodged in the scriptures which nourish the hope of believers. This is why it's so important to spend time in the Word every day. God, that's literally how God speaks to us. You want to know how God speaks? Well, he he brought a hope. (laughs) The moral judgment and temper of all believers may be determined by Jesus Christ. Believers are to imitate Christ by receiving one another to the glory of God as Christ received us to that same glory. All the saints are to have one mind which is to be the mind of Christ. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. The mind of Christ is the self-emptying mind, or the servant mind, which is to be the same in the believers. Christ emptied himself. The y'all probably there in Wednesday class. The kenosis of Christ, the self-emptying of Christ, he emptied himself, became a man. We talk about God himself, the creator of everything. Laid, laid aside the expression of his deity, God, and became a feeble man. He left everything in heaven and became a carpenter's son. He became what he created. That's right. Talk about humbling yourself, emptying yourself. He gave up all rights to express his God, his uh, deity. He gave, he, he didn't express it. And he had all the rights to, even to the point of death. He could have stopped that whole process at any moment. But he laid, he emptied himself. That's what we're, the same thing for us. To empty ourselves. Lord, what's your will? What's your will, Lord? One mouth 
means we will speak the word of God, which is the cross of Christ. Only then can God be properly glorified. When the church glorifies God with one heart, one mind, and one mouth, it will have transcended all the troubles of Romans chapter 14. The idea is that if one is born again, one is to be received as a brother or sister in the Lord. Christ received us when we were yes. enemies. Yes. So why, how can we not receive someone that's a brother or sister just because they don't think they can eat something? That's silly. If Christ has received us from darkness into light, who are we not to receive someone that Christ has received? Yeah. If they're born again and saved, Christ has received them. 